PITV podcast. It's the end of the season podcast, the the start of the playoffs. Unfortunately, the Canucks won't be participating in the playoffs. Uh, on Monday, they had their final locker clean out, their final press conference. Um, all of the players, the the coach, the management, everyone stood in and faced questions, some of them tougher than others. Poor Ben Hutton. Ben Hutton had to take a lot of really tough questions about his conditioning and his relationship with his coach and all those kinds of things. But he stood in, he answered his question, all the questions that we had for him. He, he was a good sport. He uh, It's going to be interesting to see what happens with him. But we're going to move on to some other topics here really quickly because I'm kind of tired of talking about how bad the Canucks season was. But we might get into that a little bit with the special guest for today, which is Ashley Gronzo from HockeyStats.ca. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks for having me on. Uh, it's really good to have you. Uh, we actually met in person at uh, for the first time at uh, the Vancouver Hockey Analytics Conference, where we were both speakers. It was really good to meet you there. Could you uh, introduce yourself just a little bit for uh, any listeners who may not know you and uh, your background with hockey and, and what you do with Hockey Stats? Absolutely. So I am uh, Ashley Gronzo. I am the social media director of uh, hockeystats.ca, which is a team in-game stats site, and I've been there since October of 2015. Basically, anytime you see a tweet from the Hockey Stats account, that's typically me. Uh, Basically, I go through nightly and anything cool that's happening in a game, I'll post about, or if we have any downtime, I'll let our followers know that. Or if we have anything weird going on with the site, I'll uh, inform Greg, who is the owner of the website. And just that's basically what I do. And then um, previous to that, I was with the SB Nation blog, Raw Charge, which is their Lightning affiliate. And other than that, that's basically me. All right. So you got your start in the hockey blogging world with uh, with writing about the Tampa Bay Lightning. Now, obviously, they're doing very well this season. Uh, have you been able to follow them as closely as you did in your blogging days with Raw Charge? Um, not quite as closely. I am a huge Tampa Bay Lightning fan, however, so I do keep an eye on what they're doing. It's been kind of fun to watch their progress this season and see how far they've gone um, just in the last couple of seasons. Now, ge- but like geographically, you're closest to the Canucks, right? <laughs> yes. Well, geographically, I will be closest to the NHL Seattle team whenever that happens. So you've got some um, shifting allegiances here. <laughs> however, Tyler Johnson is a Washingtonian born hockey player. So oh, you've got the connection. Like, yeah, he's kind of what drew me over to the lightning. Oh, excellent. 
Um, so where did you watch a lot of uh, junior hockey in Washington, like the, the teams that are there from the WHL? Yeah, um, I actually am kind of a late hockey fan. I didn't get into hockey until after the Canucks and the Bruins uh, played in the Stanley Cup finals. Uh, it was the season after that. Oh. And so yeah. that, that seems both good and bad. Yeah, you know, <laughs> kind of got the tail end of that high before everything turned into what it is. But yes, I do watch a lot of the WHL hockey. Um, a lot of the Thunderbirds. I've been to a few Thunderbirds games now. And but you kind of you kind of missed out on the the heartbreak for for the Canucks, but you but you haven't really had those same highs. I guess it's like a, you know, it's you you get something out of that, but you also have to give up yes. a lot. Like a, I I know like a lot of Canucks fans that went through that, they wouldn't give up those highs that they experienced for anything, but those lows were pretty low. <laughs> yes, um, I I have several Canuck fan friends who. Uh, like to tell me about the highs and the lows <laughs> and how low the lows were so how low the lows are now. <laughs> yes. The, the, the Canucks have gotten pretty low this past season. Um, it's been, it's been tough to watch, but uh, it's done now. <laughs> can move on. Now, I know you had some thoughts about, uh, about one particular player that the Canucks brought in, uh, Brendan Leipzig. Uh, yes. You're, you are a big fan of Leipzig, I, I hear? Yeah. Yeah. So I have actually followed him since his uh, WHL game uh, days. He was with the Portland Winterhawks. And so since he's been, was originally drafted by Nashville, um, kind of followed his career path from Nashville to Toronto to Vegas and now with Vancouver. And I'm really excited about what he might bring to the future of the Vancouver Canucks. However, I'm a little worried with their acquisition of past Winterhawks players. <laughs> What's the problem? You got to catch them all, right? It's, they're, they're like Pokemon. <laughs> no, Ju- junior, no, junior no. players are like Pokemon. That, that's that's a, a perfect metaphor. I mean, maybe if they do bring in Seth Jones, that would be a big deal. <laughs> but <laughs> that's dreaming really big. But but they were a good team, right? You you They're winners. They're, they're proven they, winners. They are. <laughs> However... <laughs> Proven winners uh, in 2012 to 2014 um, may not necessarily have the chemistry and translate now. So what are what are the concerns here? Are, like, are there some players out there that you think, hey, maybe the Canucks might look at these guys because they have this connection to Travis Green? Um, yeah, I could see, you know, there's uh, Taylor Lair and... Philadelphia, who I could see being kind of a target um, for the Canucks. I'm not quite sure. I haven't followed the Flyers in depth uh, with how they're bringing up him as a prospect, but I could kind of see possibly in the future him, them trying to reunite Leipzig and Lear and work that way. However, if you start bringing in what's going to eventually just be more middle to bottom players, they need to target more first liners yes. and second liners. Yeah, There's and that, not that's a, a big issue. Yeah. yeah. As much as I love the WHL players, a lot of them top out middle to bottom six. I mean, I think we're seeing that. Like, obviously, the Canucks have gone out and acquired not just Leipzig, but Derek Pouliot as well from that team. 
Um, but mm-hmm. I mean, like you look at that team and, and if, if they could actually go out and acquire some of the really good players there, like that, they would be good players on the Canucks. Nicholas Patan, like he's okay, isn't he? He's not terrible. <laughs> Ty Ratty, Oliver Bjorkstrand, like they, these are good players. Absolutely. But those are players that are probably not available. Yes. So, but if you go out and get like Ty- Tyler Wotherspoon, no? No, no, not so much. <laughs> or um, trying to trade for uh, Seth Jones or um, uh, Ryan Murray. Right, right. Yeah. And and I think like uh, that's that's like a fear for some Canucks fans because of what we saw with Willie Desjardins uh, and mm-hmm. uh, the Medicine Hat Tigers. Uh, Trevor yes. Linden had the connection to the Medicine Hat Tigers as well. And, and like a guy like Linden Vay was someone that Willie Desjardins really liked in junior. And he really wanted him with the Canucks. And as soon as he was available, the Los Angeles Kings didn't think very highly of him. And the Canucks mm-hmm. traded a second round pick for Vay. Um, and that was a gamble that maybe you could justify a little bit. Linden Vay had uh, a really good AHL career. Maybe he just didn't have the opportunity a second round pick is pretty pricey, especially considering mm-hmm. the Canucks needed draft picks to to really rebuild. But like, is is Lyndon Vay like are Brendan Leipzig and Lyndon Vay like are those equivalent kind of players, or does Leipzig have more upside? Like, is he worth more? I think Brendan Leipzig is going to have a much higher ceiling than Lyndon Vay did. Um, yeah, that, that's the impression just... I get too. I feel like he's a more well-rounded player. Um, I was actually thinking about this the other night, and he's almost, as a pest, he kind of reminds me of Alex Burrows, <laughs> but I think he has a little bit more hockey skill behind him. Well, I mean, that's a that's a lot to say. I mean, Alex Burrows was a first-line forward, sort of, with yes. the Sedins. Um, with the Sedins. <laughs> well, the thing that Burroughs had on a lot of players that uh, the Sedins gave him a lot of credit for, and I think we, we saw it here in Vancouver, was uh, was hockey sense. Like, he's just a, was a much smarter player than I think he ever got credit for before he started playing with the Sedins. And even then, like, the the fans and, and media tended to give the Sedins all the credit, whereas the Sedins go, like, we would not win the Art Ross without Alex Burroughs. So like Brendan Leipzig, I see a lot of skill there. I I do sometimes wonder about his uh, defensive awareness, um, that that hockey IQ side of it. Like, is his hockey sense good enough that he can be a consistent presence in the lineup, that a coach can trust him enough to put him in those uh, top six forward situations on a regular basis? I think they can. I think that um, he will grow with the responsibility. Yeah, I mean, and the opportunity is going to be there now, especially with the Sedins uh, retiring, mm-hmm. unless uh, yeah. <laughs> unless Jim Banning decides to to go out in free agency and just take that fourteen million dollars plus that he's getting from the Sedins' uh, retirement and just go hog wild. <laughs> I mean, so I was looking <laughs> at um, Cap Friendly the other day, and I'm not so worried about this coming season. It's going to be the season after that. Yeah, there's some big names coming up. Like uh, I, I can't can't remember who I was looking at that the other day. Um, whereas, like the the big name this season is John Tavares, and you know he's going to get probably ten, eleven million dollars per year, yeah. and that seems and like something the Canucks should probably stay away from. <laughs> <sighs> 
I, I think you make the offer once and if he doesn't take it, you just say, okay, good luck. <laughs> yeah. Like I, I don't even know if you like, does he want to come to even a Canadian team, let alone a team that's in a, uh, you know, downward spiral or maybe an upward spiral. Maybe the Canucks are in an upward spiral. Now they've, they've been spiraling down long enough. We can maybe suggest that they're going to spiral upwards at some point. Um, we wouldn't I mean, eventually it has to happen. <laughs> well, it doesn't. That's the problem. <laughs> it's, it's not, it's like, uh, if you're flipping a coin and you get like 50 tails in a row, that doesn't mean the next one's going to be ahead. Uh, it, it, that's not this how probability true. works. And besides there's humans involved who, uh, tend to make similar mistakes repeatedly, but yeah, <laughs> you know, like I think we've seen from a lot of teams that, uh, you know, the, the team doesn't have to get better. There are plenty of teams who just stay bad. It was interesting, yes. like uh, the Francesco Aquilini, uh, owner oh. of the Vancouver Canucks, he went on a, a tweet rant uh, just uh, yesterday and just 15 tweets where he was like apologizing to the fans for the bad season, but also kind of trying to pump up for the next season and the youth that are coming in. And he made the comparison to some teams that turned things around really quickly, like the Colorado avalanche. Like they went from mm -hmm. being terrible to suddenly being in the playoffs. And it's like the Canucks can have that same quick turnaround. And it's like, Oh man, you do not have the same structure and the same youth coming in the same quality of players that Absolutely. the Colorado avalanche had. And so, Absolutely. like, I, I look at that and I go, like, you know, yeah, you can look at the Colorado Avalanche. You could also look at the Edmonton Oilers and the Buffalo Sabres and the Arizona. Like, he, he even pointed out the Arizona Coyotes going, look at their second half of the season. It's like, yeah, but look at the first half of the season. <laughs> like, the, that the quick turnaround the, isn't guaranteed. And the thing with the Canucks is it's been ongoing for longer than those teams have been, with the exception of the Arizona Coyotes. They've been struggling right. the last couple of seasons. Yeah, I mean, it's been three seasons in, in the very bottom of the NHL. And, mm -hmm. and like, the, the idea that uh, fans and the media are being too negative about a team that has been mired in not just mediocrity, but, like, terribleness. Yes. <laughs> you know, I, I, think, uh, I think the negativity is somewhat justified. But... Absolutely. <laughs> the season's over. You know, let bygones be bygones. It was bad. You know, it was very, well, it's very bad. bad. We'll see what the off season brings. Maybe some positives will come from it. Well, I mean, like last off season, there was lots of positives coming out of that. That, that turned out to be not as positive as uh, a lot of fans had hoped. Like, yeah. I, I mean, like they had the good trade deadline where, you know, they traded away Burroughs and Hanson, two guys that, you know, fans really liked. And they brought in some prospects uh, like in Jonathan Dallin and Nikolai Goldobin. So, so like that was positive. And then they went into uh, the draft and they had a, a great draft picking yes. up, like especially Elias Pettersson and, and things were really positive. And then they went into free agency and well, <laughs> the, like the people were pretty positive about their, their free agency moves, but mainly, mainly it felt like uh, they had set the bar so low with uh, some of their previous moves, I was like, oh, they didn't give out a six-year, $6 million contract. What a successful free agent period. It's almost like baby steps in the right direction. Yeah. Yeah, like everyone was kind of praising Jim Benning for this uh, great three- or four-month period. Um, and 
it didn't really seem to go anywhere. They they went into this trade deadline and and didn't seem to have learned any lessons from the previous years, and and ended up not really doing much except for the Brendan Leipzig move, which I I like trading Philip Holm for Brendan Leipzig. That's you know Philip Holm wasn't anything for Vancouver. He was a guy they brought in for free basically. Mm-hmm. So that's no cost there. But then to not get anything for Thomas Vanek, to not get anything for any of their other uh, depth players that they could have potentially moved, especially with a lot of the other trades mm-hmm. you saw around the around the NHL, I think some of that positivity got squandered over the course of the season. I think one of the big problems Vancouver has is up until basically this last year is they've never really committed to the rebuild. Yeah. Yeah, that's, and I that's think, it. I think that's being shown in their trade deadlines in the UFA the last two seasons. And I think I'm hopeful that this season they're actually committing to it. Well, the, the, but we'll see. Uh, the, the thing is, like, their messaging has never changed. What they've told yeah. the public has never changed. And and what they may do internally, like maybe internally they, they do have this rebuilding plan with a, a set goal a set date of when the team will be competitive again for the playoffs and have all those things in place that they're just not telling anyone. But Canucks fans, a lot of them at least, some of them are, are fine with Jim Benning and Trevor Linden. They're, they're big fans. They think that they're making all the right moves, and that's great. But there's a lot of fans who are just frustrated that the message hasn't changed, that every year it's the same thing. We're going to be competitive, and we're going to bring in young players. And it's like, well, is that the extent of the plan yeah. <laughs> like if you can't are, be competitive every year while bringing in young players and if your goal is to be competitive well you're you're not yeah if if that is their plan they need to be transparent about it to their fans because otherwise this hostility will continue to grow and i think we've seen that that clarity from some other teams especially like the new york rangers that's an obvious example where they literally sent out a press release a letter to their fans saying this is what we're doing it's going to be hard mm-hmm. and we're going to do it anyways because it's what we need to do and, yes. and i mean i i think i i like that transparency i think it's the right move um but the Canucks, you have a lot more I have a lot more respect for an organization that comes out and says, this is what's going on. Exactly. And this is what we're going to fix it. Exactly. And if you're not going to be clear, like you, if you're not going to actually be transparent, you still have to send a strong message. You have to mm-hmm. have a, a, a strong, a strong message to your fans that this is, this is our plan. And now maybe that's a lie <laughs> and that's fine. You can, you can lie to the fans if you as want. As long as the fans are buying it, you can lie. <laughs> like if, if you're just going to say like, this is our, our plan and this is why you should buy in this, this is why you should buy season tickets because we're doing this. And it was a clear plan of action. Now, maybe that bears no relation to what they actually plan to do. That's fine. But give the fans something clear. <laughs> yeah. Otherwise, we just end up kind of judging them on their actions and and the results and the actions and results have been mixed to terrible. So, yeah. Anyway, so that's that's more just ranting about the Canucks, the negative media. Look at me. I'm just I'm so negative. Oh, so negative that we're hoping that they do well. 
<laughs> that's the thing. It's like, I want Gosh, the team to it. be good. I want the team to be good. It would be great to write about a lot of good things happening. And I mean, I've, I've made this point before where I've talked about how much I want to be positive about the Canucks. I want to tell these positive stories because they're more fun to tell and people like to read them. Uh, people mm -hmm. don't like to read constant negativity. And I apologize for being negative so much this season, but you know, they finished in the bottom of the league and were, were kind of terrible for most of the year. There was like very few positive stories. The Sedins kind of changed the, the tone of the entire season with their retirement. That kind of everything kind of ended on this upbeat yet somehow really sad note. It, it, was, it was weird. It, it was it was the end of an era and it was kind of heartbreaking. Yeah, it was this bittersweet heartbreaking moment. Like it, it was it was wonderful, especially the Thursday night. Uh, game their last home game I, I was lucky enough to be able to be there in the press box and it was it was magnificent like <laughs> it, you couldn't possibly write a better plot for that game they, they score the first Canucks goal and then it, it goes to overtime and they score the overtime winner and it's just like how <laughs> how does that happen but at it the was... same time like it was so sad yeah, it was something that I think all Canucks fans are going to be able to cherish as we move forward. Um, because we're never going to have that again. No, no, like it, it's it's basically unheard of for two players to play on the same line for so long. Mm -hmm. Like it, it's just it doesn't happen. I believe someone someone uh, on TV shared a stat that there were two players who were on the same team for longer, and it was back way back in the day. I think one of them might have even been Gordie Howe. I, I no. could be misremembering that. I apologize. But there were like two players who were on the same team together longer than the Sedins. But I don't think they played on the same line constantly the way the Sedins did. That it was just. It's not just that they're twins. Like that's that's what everyone kind of latches onto, but they played on the same line together, and were Art Ross winners together. F like they played together for eighteen years. <laughs> like that's that's crazy. That's eighteen years in the Canucks organization. They were together longer than that, if you add in. Yeah. Yeah. Previous yeah. to the Canucks. You add in you add in their years with Moto. I think they said something that they had been playing on the same line together for six, six years before they were drafted. And then, yeah. and then it was another year. So it was like seven years plus eight. So like 25 years of playing on the same line together. <laughs> a quarter century, a quarter That's century on the same line. <laughs> That's longer than some Canucks fans have been around. That's longer than some Canucks players have been around. <laughs> That's that's like that's uh, older than I think the average age of the Canucks next season. I like, think so. <laughs> like when when you think of it that way, like it stops it stops being like uh, crazy to think about their chemistry on the ice. Like the way mm -hmm. that they found each other, people were always like, "Oh, it's like they're telepathic. They they've got this weird twin connection." It's like they played on the same line for over two decades. Like, of course they know where the other twin is on the ice. Like, they've literally been on the same line for over two decades. 
Yeah, it's <laughs> just muscle memory at that point. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, speaking of their Art Ross wins, um, with the end of the season comes uh, the, the usual debates about who <laughs> should win the NHL awards, uh, including a, a very contentious Hart Trophy debate this year. And yeah. that, that's going to be an interesting one. What, what are your thoughts about, about that Hart Trophy and McDavid and Hall and, and Giroux and McKinnon and all, the, all these players who are part of this debate? So I have, like, my personal feelings, and then I have my analytical feelings. <laughs> analytical feelings. Hang on. Hang on. Back up. You know, can you have you know, analytical feelings? Is that allowed? Yes. <laughs> Your brain can feel things. That's what I say. You're, um, you're not allowed to. I thought that was just, like, robotic. The numbers say what the numbers say. No, because it's uh, numbers. Oh, a lot, but you got to add some feeling in with it. Um, personally, for me. I kind of feel like Hall should win it. Um, I don't think the New Jersey Devils would be where they are without him, which is what the heart as a valuable player means to me. However, what valuable means to me might not be what valuable means to somebody else. Right. And I think that's where a lot of the arguments on Twitter are stemming from is what do, well, not just Twitter, but all of media is <laughs> everybody's values in a player are going to be different. Yeah. And <laughs> that's okay. It's okay. It's <laughs> okay. If we all valued the same thing in the sport, the sport would be very boring. Oh, absolutely. I, I love that. Like it, it's okay to be different. We actually have a, a, storybook for our kids i think that's called it's okay to be different so that's that, that's great <laughs> you're you're allowed to like and that's the thing like you're allowed to ignore analytics and, and just follow narratives and say like hey i i want this player to win because he was the most valuable to his team regardless of narratives um regardless of numbers i mean or you could say like oh no I, i'm all about the analytics and look at this guy his primary points per 60 or his, his course he for when he was on the ice compared to what when he wasn't like you can look at all those different things and it's okay those are interesting yeah. conversations to have i think there's problems when we dismiss someone's perspective right out of hand um, yes which i've been seeing a lot of is yeah. that you're not going to look, this person's not going to add in all of these other values that I'm showing them. So therefore their opinions invalid and that's problematic. <laughs> Just a little. Just a little. And I mean, it's, a, and it's kind of on generational lines, even like there's the old guard who are just like, ah, no, like the, the way that the MVP award has been given out for years is this, and it has to be given out this way. And never mind what you young pups are trying to say and then the there's like this young analytical guard that are coming in going like no no we want it this way and it's like sometimes there are those generational gaps between between in, in these debates absolutely and not just uh generational but i think there is still debate just among everybody of whether or not you add in whether or not the team makes the playoffs right it's, and especially for bubble teams, like I've seen jokes about it too, going like, well, I can't wait to find out if McKinnon is eligible for the heart or not based exactly. on the result of one game. And it could even be like a game that he's not playing in <laughs> that determines yeah. if they're in or out of the playoffs. And it's like, yeah. well, that's not really up to him. 
And should should the heart be like in your opinion, should the heart like only be given to a player that makes the playoffs? No. No. That and yet should... you want to give it to Hall over McDavid. Even if New Jersey <laughs> had missed the playoffs, I think I'd want to give it to Hall. Okay. Okay. Um just because his team improved as a whole, whereas the Oilers did not. Hmm. So like for, for me, like I, I actually am on the same page there. I think that Hall deserves the the heart. I think that he's been incredibly valuable, valuable for, for the devils. Um, especially in, in a season where like their star goaltender, Corey Schneider has had just, just a terrible, like a really rough season. Um, Between the injuries and yeah. I think coming back from injuries, not being able to get into the rhythm. Absolutely. So like in a, in a season where like, you know, goaltending is huge in the NHL and for like, I mean, they traded the ninth overall pick that turned into Bo Horvat. They traded mm -hmm. that to get Corey Schneider because they were losing Martin Brodeur. Martin Brodeur was gone. They needed yep. a goaltender to like anchor their team for the next like decade. And then the season in, in which they've had the most success is the season where Schneider has struggled the most. And, and so, yeah, that's really impressive on Hall's part. I admit, like, part of me also wants to give it to Hall just because the narrative of uh, the Oilers trading him. It would just be hilarious if Hall beat McDavid for the heart. <laughs> There's a vindictive little part of me that feels the same way. <laughs> the trade was one for one. Um, Man, can't get over that. Uh, no. So, so yeah, like Hall, like there's a lot of reasons to go for Hall. And, and even like some of the analytical reasons, uh, a lot of the numbers support Hall. Hall has just had a phenomenal season. Mm -hmm. But like, I mean, uh, you can make the same argument for a guy like McKinnon too, or, or uh, Giroux has a little bit more support with the Flyers, but he's had a fantastic season as well. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think I have I, had a vote? Should I have had a vote uh, for the awards, which I don't because I'm not PHWA, um, <laughs> it would have been Hall, McKinnon, McDavid for me. Okay. Okay. In that order. Um, I could have joined the PHWA this year, um, but forgot to. Uh, so I don't have a vote either. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, that, that sounds good to me. I'd go with that. Um, <laughs> the, but, I mean, like, like, there's arguments for McDavid, too. Like, the fact that he's been able to have this Art Ross winning season while playing for a team as bad as the Oilers. Like there's gotta be some value there. Like that's, I mean, that's impressive to do that Absolutely. to on, on a team that bad to perform that well. I mean, like, I think there is a strong argument for him to win the heart as well, even though the Oilers crashed and burned this year because i don't think you can put any of that on him like obviously you can't i think you have to put all of that on management for not building a team around him yeah and one player does not make a team yeah uh, and i mean like the there, there's going to be some more transparency this year with the voting too which is one of the reasons why I think everyone is uh, debating this so much is because they will have to justify their answer. <laughs> We're going to get to see who voted for who 
in in this and it, it's going to there's going to be like the, the ones that i'm really interested in like i get it if if a, someone votes for mcdavid and you can go hey why did you vote for mcdavid instead of hall and all the philadelphia flyers fans will be like why did any of you vote for anyone other than Giroux? um <laughs> but but the ones i'm really interested in are like the weirdo votes you know like mm-hmm. every once in a while there, there will be like you just know someone's going to give like a fifth place heart vote to sean couturier or something you know like i i'm eager to see those like Braden i want to points. yes Braden points someone's gonna throw in like a uh like a, a fifth overall vote for the heart for Braden point and everyone's gonna look at him just going like what are you doing <laughs> uh like uh, those are the ones i am eager to see because they those always crop up They'll, they'll go mm-hmm. through the list of, here's all the players who got the vote. And then, like, at the bottom of the list with, like, one or two votes will just be the weirdest players. And I want to know who is voting for those players. Well, and it will be able to let us kind of eliminate some of the homerism that comes from yes. the voting. For sure. Um, and I think we'll be good. One question I have, like, one thing that I wonder is, like, why isn't... Uh, why isn't Bobrovsky getting more buzz for the heart? I, because uh... <laughs> I look at him, like I look at his season, I, I was looking at uh, save percentages um, in different situations and, and compared to um, like goal saved above average and those kind of statistics. Mm-hmm. And I was looking at that in the context of Jacob Markstrom and Anders Nielsen for an article. And as I was going through it, I was going, my goodness, Sergei Bobrovsky is the most valuable player in the NHL. Like he, I think it was something crazy. Like at five on five, he saved something like 30 goals above average. And and there is no forward or defenseman that is providing that kind of value to a team. No, Like that's insane. um, Gets very overshadowed. um, A lot of the time, Uh, whether it's, other goaltenders, whether it's uh, Vasilevsky or Pekarene, having just their crazy seasons that they were having for a while there, um, or just how the defense court in front of him can be really, really good at times. Right. Well, like, I, I wonder, will Bobrovsky even win the Vesna? <laughs> like, he absolutely should. In my opinion, he absolutely should. Because the Blue Jackets are not anywhere near the team that they are without him. Like, I don't think they make the playoffs without Bobrovsky. And I, I mean, maybe, maybe that's bold mm-hmm. on my part, but I, I feel pretty firmly about that. With a league average goaltender, I don't think they're in the playoffs. <sighs> like, he's providing like a 30 goal swing in goal differential. That's, this is true. That's insane. That's, that's crazy. He should absolutely win the Vesna. I would personally have him in the heart conversation. I, I'd be tempted to give him my first overall vote for the heart. I know I said that I didn't really have a list, but let's be honest. I do. And Bobrovsky is on the, on the top of it. And it just feels like there's no conversation about Bobrovsky and the heart. Yeah, there's no conversation about Bobrovsky at all, actually. Which is weird. And I apparently feel a lot more passionately about this than I realized because I'm like, here we go. Let's go. Let's get a campaign going. <laughs> I mean, I'm all for it because goaltenders should win more awards, in my opinion. Yes. Yes, I agree. Goaltenders should win all the awards. Yes. <laughs> I think goaltending in general is very underrated in this league for some reason or other. 
Well, just no one seems to really understand what makes a good goaltender. Like it's uh, it's such a niche thing. It's so different from any other aspect of mm-hmm. of hockey. Like it's like a kicker in football. Like he doesn't participate in any other football activities. Occasionally, mm-hmm. he'll be asked to like throw like tackle someone if he if his punt gets returned, and he'll be the, like the last line of defense. But otherwise, a kicker does nothing that the rest of his teammates do a goaltender does nothing that the rest of his teammates do maybe he passes the puck once in a while that could be like the closest thing to a normal hockey play that a goaltender does and And you really hope that nobody else has to make the saves that the goaltender did (laughs) exactly i mean like the canucks have guys that try like alex edler alex edler is a street hockey goaltender like basically he tries to make kick saves constantly and Ben Hutton does it sometimes too. I remember one time uh, in the playoffs, Chris Tanev tried to make like a rainbow around the world glove save on a shot. And it, and it's just like, just let the goaltender do his job. Um, <laughs> that's, you have a goaltender for a reason. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, like the, I remember talking to even Travis Green uh, early, like before the season started, like about his goaltenders and he, like, what does he like in a goaltender? What is, what does he look for from his goaltenders? And he just said, I, you know, I like goaltenders that stop the puck. I don't like <laughs> goaltenders that don't. <laughs> that was the extent of it. And I mean, fair enough. That is how you should judge a goaltender. Does he stop more pucks than another goaltender would? Like that is the best way that for a layman to judge a goaltender. But it's like, it's crazy to me that an NHL head coach really like maybe he has a little more knowledge of goaltending than he's letting on, but probably mm-hmm. not. <laughs> yeah. Do you, do you have a certain style of play that you like? Do you like somebody who's deeper in the net versus somebody who likes to attack? Yeah, like talking yeah. to someone like uh, Kevin Woodley, who, who's uh mm-hmm who definitely knows his goaltenders. He's, you know, goaltender himself. He's a writer for NHL.com covering the Canucks. You talk to him about goaltenders and he, he'll, he'll let you know that people just don't understand goaltenders at all. And and like a lot of what people who aren't goaltenders say about goaltenders is just flat out wrong. And and Mm -hmm. so it's like just such a tough position to understand. Uh, And for like someone who never played goaltender to try to, look and see and 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 figure out well this is what makes a good goaltender and this is what doesn't (laughs) you you can't do it (laughs) you have to have kind of lived it so i for for me that's where like analytics come in and i mean goaltending analytics is like basically in its rookie season um Uh. maybe in a sophomore slump i don't know but there there are a few things that we can look at like goal saved above average and, and these kind of things because the eye test doesn't necessarily tell you much about a goaltender if you don't have that very specific knowledge. Right. Um, in goal media does a really good job of breaking goaltenders down and giving us the information a lot of the time. Yes. And I kind of follow them religiously yeah, and, and kind of draw. And Kevin Woodley has done, done like that's kind of his, his thing. So, yes. <laughs> so like, uh, yeah, like anyone who can like make, the goaltending position understandable for a, a non-goaltender i i basically like i love them <laughs> yeah you're, uh, you're my best friend now if you can explain goaltenders to me 
But yeah, yeah so so goaltenders yeah. are so like underappreciated, and I I really feel like Bobrovsky deserves a lot more accolades, and the fact that yeah he might not even get the Vesna this year is uh, ridiculous to me. Anyways, well, yeah, <laughs> I, I I know there's just been such a media push for Pekka Pekarine. Yeah, um, from the Nashville Predators. <laughs> that. <laughs> It, it's all about it's all about the marketing, really. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> Which, well, they market it and it puts Pekka's name, yeah, in the voters' notes. Yeah, so, and, and I mean, Rene, right there. Like Rene has has bounced back. Like uh, he he's been legitimately good this season. Whereas in some seasons, he's kind of like people have said he's good, and he really hasn't been. <laughs> but like he's playing he's look at the defense he's playing behind though absolutely um and you just gotta something that a lot of people forget is that he did have a very invasive surgery that went bad mm, right um, what was that four seasons ago yeah i mean like that and that's uh yeah and i can't so the, i can't remember exactly when when that was but yeah like that's like if it if it doesn't if something doesn't heal properly in that area like mm-hmm. you you're in <laughs> you're in trouble yeah and that's i mean i think it was equali in the hip yeah is what yeah, that's, happened. yes that sounds that sounds very familiar yeah so he, up until you could kind of start seeing at the end of the last season with the playoff push that they had and going all the way to the cup final um, he's starting to get back into the rhythm of what we remembered him before the injury. Right. And I think that's kind of something that people, everyone was like, he's good, he's good, he's good. Except he had this injury and he's still healing from this injury. And now we're seeing him heal from that injury. He has all the flexibility back and he is able to make those amazing saves that we knew he could. And it's... But as, yeah, as like, you said, the defense in front of him is amazing. <laughs> yeah, that that's the the one thing for me that I, I look at the defense in in Nashville, and it's uh, to me that's the the best defense core in the league, and at least the yes. best top four. And who cares who's on the third pairing because of that top four? You you don't have to play the third pairing. Who cares? Uh, yeah. <laughs> but like. Uh, you know, if you've got that in front of you and you've got a good possession team, like you've got good forwards as well that keep keep the puck in the other end generally. Uh, like I I I would struggle to give the Vesna to to Pecorino, but the narrative there is a good one. You know, a, a guy who has bounced back, he's kind of embraced, like, like gotten back to where he he once was. Like I get it, but man, Bobrovsky. <laughs> Yeah, Vrosky has had an amazing season. Yeah. Anyways, that's that we we ended up going on a huge. Well, I guess that's not too much of a side trail because we were talking about the NHL awards. Yes, we were. I have no. Yeah, sorry. I have no idea who to give any of the other awards to. Um, There doesn't seem to be like a huge. What? Why do we even have the awards? Well, it. I don't know. (laughs) It's to so that. Um, you know, a decade on, we can have arguments about whether a player should be in the Hockey Hall of Fame. That, that's oh. that's why we have the awards. We argue about yeah. it now so we can argue about it later. And then later on, depending on who gets into the Hall of Fame, we'll argue about whether they deserve to be in there or not. 
and whether that person being in the Hockey Hall of Fame means someone else should be in the Hockey Hall of Fame. It's just, it's a whole cycle of arguments. That's the whole purpose of sports, really. Of course it is. <laughs> that makes perfect sense. That like sport, <laughs> sports is just an argument generator. That's the entire, we have a random number generator uh, that just kicks out sports scores <laughs> and we argue about who who's the best, who's not the best. Like, I'm I'm hardly joking about the random number generator. I remember in college, my my friends and I were part of uh, this like online soccer game with like fictional players, and mm-hmm. like they had all these like fictional attributes of how good they were, and and they you'd play a game against another team, and the random number generator would bounce around a little bit, and it'd kick out a score, and then we'd go, well, this player's good, and they were fictional players. <laughs> What was wrong with us? Oh, no. <laughs> it wasn't even like real fantasy soccer. Like it was just fictional players in a random number generator. And then we'd actually argue about how good the random number generator was. Because That's... why not? <laughs> it's the... we, we had arguments that the random number generator cares too much about midfield. We, we need to, they need to fix the random number generator. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, that's the whole point of sports is just to like, give us something to argue about that that isn't politics or religion so that so that we don't have to punch each other in the face. <laughs> we can just argue about things that don't matter. It, it's a, it's a great thing, sports. Yes. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe maybe that's a, a masculine perspective. I don't know. That's a, <laughs> a little bit. That's OK. Uh Anyways, um, it's been great talking to you for, for the podcast. Thank you for coming on, Ashley. Um, where, where can Thank people you so find you on, uh, on the social medias and, and such? So you can find me on my Twitter handle at Ash on Ice or um, on the Hockey Stats Twitter handle at Hockey Stats CA. And uh, you can also follow my blog, which is rarely updated, uh, which is <laughs> ashonice.wordpress.com. Excellent. Uh, I'll be sure to occasionally check that just to see maybe if you've updated it with something. <laughs> something, eventually. I have like five unfinished posts on Spanhack that are just sitting there. Yeah. I need to do something. Yeah, I, I did an interview with Josh uh, Weisbach um, that I mm-hmm. haven't done anything with just because so many other things have been happening with the Canucks. Um, so, yeah, during the off season, I'll, I'll write up something about Vanhack. Uh, there were a whole bunch of like all, all the different talks. Um, if you didn't get a chance to go to Van Hack or, or watch the live stream, um, most of the uh, most of the presentations, oh. all of the presentations, all of the presentations are up. Um, there we go. Uh, William Lang uh, videotaped them uh, with his GoPro and uploaded them when he got back to Seattle. Oh, excellent. So you can basically watch the entire Vancouver Hockey Analytics Conference. Um, my, my talk on narratives is there. Uh, Ashley's talk on hockey visualizations and the stories that they tell, that's on there. Um, the, there's a lot of really cool things there. There were a lot of things on there that I, I plan on maybe uh, doing some things with them in the off season, just because uh, there were especially, there was a presentation from some, I believe they were UBC students on, on the power play um, and just, just a very specific slice of the power play that, that I think will be interesting to look at. 
but yeah, I, I really appreciate you uh, taking the time to join join me on the podcast today. Thank you so much for having me on. It's been fun. Awesome. Fun is what we aim for. Mm-hmm.